listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Thanks for the download. If you like what you hear, hit us up at patreon.com slash 9to5cc. This is the 9to5 Entertainment System. Scott's not here because Ottawa is like a siren song to a man named Scott. This is the 9to5 thing. John, what do we talk about? We talk about Scott missing the bus. We talk about OXV, the manual, called Frequently Frequencies. We mm-hmm. talk about Super Intelligent Immortals. We talk about the simulation. We talk about Dodgebow, Tohu, Sexism at Riot, Gender Wars, Happy Death Day, Happy Death Day to you, and Blue Sunshine. Man, this sounds like the best episode ever. Might even be our best episode ever. 9 to 5. Entertainment system. Best episode ever. Heard of your first, kids. I was really excited. Maybe he just missed the bus. He just missed the bus like, um, what was it, crisscross? I mean, they they certainly did, but that is something they will never, ever do again. Whereas with Scott, we Uh do know that he will miss the bus over and over again. Why? Maybe you weren't around for that. There was this this period where Scott had like a, he always talked about how he had a curse. Okay. Like every time he would go to catch a bus, he would like turn the corner and then see the bus leaving. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, like five or six times I was with him. You know, leaving his house or leaving sci-fi or whatever, mm-hmm. and indeed that did happen. Huh. Now maybe it's just one of those confirmed uh, what do you, what do you confirmation say? bias. Confirmation bias, where like you only remember it because because it was a thing. But for like many years, ask him about it, and he'll have mm-hmm. a chuckle. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you do with that? Like, if that is a fact, are you just sort of that like you just always miss the bus? Yeah. So when I was in elementary school, mm-hmm. this is a great anecdote. You're gonna love this. When I was in elementary school, <laughs> we had a um, we had a deal at this. I was at, I was at the advanced math and science section of the elementary school, and mm-hmm. every time we had a new math chapter, they would give us a test on the stuff that was going to be in the math chapter, and then right. if you, like a pretest. And if you pass the test by a per- certain percentage, they assumed like, okay, you already know that math. You don't have to do that subject, and then you could make your own subjects in that time. Okay. Okay. So the subject that I chose was to have a paranormal exploration crew team, okay. quality use of education time. And we read all kinds of books on ghosts and, and hauntings and, and paranormal type shit. Yeah. And then it also it, it culminated to there being about eight of us sitting in a room holding a seance around a Ouija board As in, you do. Gra- in grade six <laughs> when my teacher, Mr. B, opens the door, looks in and is like, oh, okay. And then closes the door. He's like, they're having a seance. And then he like... Turns around, comes back, opens the door again. He's like, no, 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 no. This is not happening in school. What is this? All of you, get out of here. Yeah. And he canceled the whole program. Oh. But my conclusion of my time in the like grade six paranormal activity thing is it only has to be one. There only has to be a single reliably provable instance of something supernatural for like the whole shit, all the doors are open. The floodgates are open, right? Right. Like you verifiably have one wizard cast a spell <laughs> and all of a sudden all of this shit is possible. Right. So that's what it would be if Scott actually did miss the bus every Every time he stepped out. It would be some kind of karma, supernatural force. What if it was like, um, do you remember that movie? What do they call it? Uh, Dude. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, you know that movie that we watched. It was a Fantasia movie. I want to say it was OVA the something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, OVA, this is terrible on a two-man podcast. Yeah. It was called like The Rule or something. I don't really remember what that was about. It was okay. like an edge of supernatural stuff. Though. So the um, the premise of this movie, which mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly, you know, since we're only two people, one of us can't up. take a pause and, yeah, and briefly look it up. But I can tell you, the premise of this movie is that they quantify uh, like a person's luck becomes a measurable... And there's something about pairing them up with the person who's like the opposite no, of them? No, that, that, that's mm-hmm. not what it is. No. <laughs> it's the opposite of that. The, okay. that. It is a love story of someone who has quantifiably... Terrible luck. So they're like, and and society has just evolved in such a way where it's like the same thing as like the color of your eyes or whatever. It's just an observable metric of a person is how like lucky they are, essentially. And the girl is like super high luck and the boy is super low luck. But it's like, but society has just sort of like sorted itself out based on this fact where it's like, if you have low luck, congratulations, you're going to be a a janitor or whatever. Like you're going to be in a job where having bad luck is not the worst not the worst whereas if you are a lucky person like by all means like study cancer you're more likely you're literally more likely to have a breakthrough it's mm-hmm. like a quantifiable uh, i seem to remember like you're not explaining this well but i seem to remember loving it it was <laughs> and really it was cool. like super clever it was not way out there like, yeah exactly well i mean it, it's yeah. not like a hard and fast rule but anyway and she's yeah. like at school and it's like the the story it takes place over 
several generations, well, not generations, several years, because mm-hmm. it starts off with the boy and the girl who kind of know each other, and they yeah. get they get older, and it's like someone on like the very low end of luck spectrum mm-hmm. and someone on the very high end of the luck spectrum kind of having an unlikely romance in society telling them yep. that yep. they can't it's ah, what's it? it's called like i said i think it's called like frick i can't we'll remember. look it up we'll put it in the liner notes we'll put it in the liner notes anyway i, I remember yeah. it was like a super charming movie but that was yeah exactly but that was yeah. it where it's like if you can just measure like someone's luck which I guess brings us to the topic of genetic testing. Does it? Or genetic alteration. Sure. I mean, didn't they d- disappear a guy in China for doing that? Yep. So he uh, apparently – so this is really cool. The story is he gave a bunch of kids – or two kids. Mm-hmm. He genetically modified them using CRISPR so that they would have a higher resistance to HIV. Okay? That's okay. the story. Now, the gene changes that uh, give you the resistance to HIV that he was trying to implement Mm -hmm. apparently also cause greatly enhanced intelligence. Oh. And so, you know, it's possible that that was his actual goal and the HIV thing was a bit of a cover. A bit of a ruse? Yeah, a bit of a ruse. However, supposedly the the Chinese government disappeared this guy right after he Mm -hmm. announced it. I mean, that's kind of what the Chinese government does. Just because they want all their babies to be born with super intelligence. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about widening income inequality, that's that's the that's the end of it. You're mm-hmm. going to have immortal, super intelligent humans who are leading a race of ordinary people. Yep. And, the, well, and, and that is, in fact, what... Uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not yet, know. but Bill Gates warned us about this. Did he? Yeah. Smart guy. He said it was one of the great threats to uh, humanity, in yep. fact, <laughs> where... Because the implications of it, obviously, are that the uh, the point zero one percent will mm-hmm. literally be able to make themselves better than the ninety nine point nine nine percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, you're literally going to have a ruling god class. Mm-hmm. Of, you're going to have people who are healthier, stronger, smarter, longer living. Like, if not immortal, maybe. Like, if, if mm-hmm. we can, if we can edit genetic code down to that base, and the only people that are going to be able to afford it are the ultra wealthy. So. You're that that that's it. Then we have gods ruling over the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, like, I mean, and like, isn't that like that's ter- like terrifying science possibility? Well, wrap it up into the global warming, right? So the, there was an, an article came out today on Reddit where um, they were saying that the amount of CO two emissions that we're putting out right now is ten times the amount that was being released at the Eocene something uh, hyperthermic maximum. Okay, where. The, the whole the, there was tro- like um, tropical weather at the poles, mm-hmm. so they had like alligators and dinosaurs and shit at the north and south pole, and um, at the at the equator it was just a burn scorching apocalyptic desert. Okay, so we're far beyond the amount of CO two emissions that it would take to get to that. Now at the time the CO two emissions had been going for a long period of time, so there was there was more atmospheric carbon than there is right now, mm-hmm. but we're on track to get to that. So what our super intelligent immortal elite 0.1% people are going to do is build themselves escape palaces on Antarctica. Yeah. Let the majority of the human race extinct itself and then have, you know, the reduced population that can survive on the planet without ruining it. Neat. And they're going to be smarter and better than us. So, so this is crazy, right? Okay. (laughs) Crazier. I mean, (laughs) no, but I'm like, (laughs) and I mean, I I guess I'm glad that I'm not really planning on having kids and they won't have to deal with this, but Mm -hmm. like, potentially that would like save humanity in a major way right i mean like if you are left with a small manageable population on a garbage planet but they're all the smart like literally the smartest strongest healthiest yeah but the assumption that 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 population will ever be able to sustain itself without the rest of the ecosystem i'm not really sure that that will be possible but I mean, if there's anyone who could figure it out, it's our super godlike point zero one percent. Maybe, Maybe. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if if we are gonna have the inevitable heat death of the planet and whatever, I'd like the what heat death of the planet? Yeah, I, I mean, it's happening. The heat death of the universe, but that's like in a in like a trillion years. Well, I don't know, right? but okay. I guess it's not a heat death. I'm just saying, like, yeah. the, the climate gets to the point where the equator's on fire, right, and right. stuff like that's what I'm thinking. Not not a heat death on the cosmic scale, right? But like heat death on the, the the planetary scale, yeah. yeah. The planetary scale. If the government, if the planet gets too hot to sustain the life that took millions of years to evolve on it, mm-hmm. like you'd have to have like a super- billions, billions, billions three point eight five billion years mm-hmm. to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. A couple hundred to fuck it up. Oh yeah. I mean, ain't it always the way? Is it though? I mean, yeah, so I feel, have you heard about the, the great filter? Okay, explain. Okay, so they're talking about um, how much. Uh, what are the likelihoods of having intelligent life out there? Right. Okay. So they say, 
well, looking at our own planet, right, it took very, very little amount of time to go from you have a planet to you have life, right? right? Ca like carbon molecules began replicating quickly. You're fingering me. What's up? The movie was called OXV The Manual. Yes, it was. And it was renamed as Frequencies. Frequencies? Yeah. Huh. I guess because it has a slightly more... And it, and it was and the the term for the, for the measurable luck was the person's frequency, right? And like they test higher or lower on frequencies, and I guess they figured frequencies was a more marketable name than, than OXV the manual. Which, to be fair, I maybe could have remembered frequencies, but when we saw it at Fantasia, it was, it was OXV, the OXV the manual. I don't know. I found it kind of charming. I like it a lot. It and it's cute. weirdness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so filters. Carry on. So you you. It was very quick for life to begin, mm -hmm. right? And then, like, and then it took three and some odd billion years for us to have complex life, right? Which is, is that still f quick on the cosmic scale? No, that's that's a quarter of the entire history of the universe. Okay, so it's twelve point eight billion years, I think, or thirteen billion years, something around there, for the whole universe. Okay, but then our sun is a third generation sun, yeah. right? Because there were two other ones first, and then and then we got to our sun, and then mm -hmm. so all this stuff is happening. Yeah. So. Let us say that the first filter is having h complex hydrocarbons in the environment of a planet. Okay. Right? So how often do, does a system get past that? Right. Well, we look around in the universe and we see, okay, there's actually a lot of hydrocarbons floating around interstellar space all over the place. Comets are full of them. It seems that they get onto planets and then that, that's, that's where you would have the foundations of life. So mm -hmm. that, like, it's easy to get past that step. Then the next step is multicellular life, which on our planet, it took around 3 billion years for that to happen. Right. Which is pretty long, right? It's like a quarter of the life of the universe. Yeah. So... You have that, and then you have multicellular life. And then the next big step might be getting onto land. The next big step, whatever. And every time you pass by one of those steps, you, you multiply it into a chance of life to get past it, and yeah. then you multiply that by the number of planets that are out there, and you should have a, like a reasonable number of right. an assumption about how often there is life. But I guess you also have to cross-reference it with how likely it is the sun is going to die while the planet is in that mode, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's one of the potential yeah, yeah, yeah. risks. <laughs> so, so, it's like, like, even if you're on the right path, you have to coincide exactly with the life of the sun or the life right. of the star that you're orbiting. Well, here's, the, here's where all this gets a little tricky. As we start getting more and more information about what's going on in the universe around mm -hmm. us, it seems that every one of those things that we thought might be hard yeah. is all of a sudden quite easy. Okay. So at first we thought maybe hydrocarbons are rare, and then it turns out they're not. And then we thought, okay, maybe planets are rare. Okay, but then it turns out they're not. And then we thought, well, maybe um, like having... Uh, stable planetary systems is yeah. rare, but then it's not. And so as as each of those things appears to become more and more common, it is more and more likely that the universe should be teeming with super intelligent life. Right. Right? Like, and if you think it's only been a couple million years that there have been humans, and really our whole civilization is only 15 or 20,000 years old, yeah. probably 10. Yeah. Like, why don't we have hyper-advanced civilizations? Well, then the concept of the Great Filter arrives. What if there is a, a point that civilizations arrive at that most never make it past? Yeah. Right, and so that might be the climate apocalypse, mm -hmm. but it also very well might be the discovery of atomic power. Right, like we right. were inches away from total global annihilation in the right. '70s, and what if it is just very common? Species get to that point and they fucking eradicate themselves. That's the idea of the filter, yeah. and um, <laughs> and so you know the climate thing. Looks kind of like it. What if, what if there's chemicals that we don't even know what they are? Somebody's mm -hmm. experimenting in a lab. The chemical is like incredibly toxic, <sighs> gets yeah. in the atmosphere, causes a chain reaction, does whatever. Mm -hmm. Or people, there's, there's maybe some like warp drive technology that people discover. The first person who does it on 99 out of 10, you know, 99 out of 100 planets, yeah. it just punches a hole in the planet, which explodes and then everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's that impossible. I nope. think, and I, and I honestly, like, and like maybe we made it past nuclear, but we're not making it past anything else, you know? <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? Like, right. like I, I feel that as soon as you have a species that can like dominate a planet, like there might be like the correct timing for that. If that can coincide like slightly better with like enlightenment and yeah. not just like base greed and like <laughs> and self like self fulfilling like nonsense or whatever, yep, yep. like. The odds of that happening are even slimmer. You know what I mean? Like where you're just sort of like, okay, so you're going to end up having mastery over the planet. Yeah. And then you're not going to be fueled by like greed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like th those two things, because it's like, it's indirect. Like the, the concept of like doing things for the greater whole is like in direct contrast with most of like evolutionary imperative, right? Which is totally. So, so it's like, it's, you have to hit that point well, and of while course, you're also significantly detached enough from 
being self-serving. In a conflict between two cultures, one of which embraces self-serving aggression and the other one <laughs> which embraces, you know, like peace and, yeah, and yeah. safety, probably the self-serving aggressive one is going to win. Yeah, exactly. That's it most times. So it's like the, that – I would say that almost becomes like the hardest probably hurdle to pass because mm -hmm. you're just sort of like – you have the entirety of evolutionary imperative is always rewarding like self-serving aggression. Yep. And then all of a sudden you have the power to kill your own planet. And then you have to be like, whoa, yep. not this time. So, <laughs> and then even if, and if that power manifests itself as a nuclear weaponry or if it just has manifests itself as to, you know, like draining all of the resources out of the planet at a not sustainable rate, like however that power manifests itself, you have to be like, wait, let's not do that and make ourselves trillionaires. We could just be billionaires. I mean, and you're like, no, no, the no. The thing is resisting, our, resisting your urges is civilization. You know, yeah. that's oh, like what you need. I and, get it. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. You need to just get to that, that point of civilization. Yes. At a sufficient enough time where you so, distance yourself from being a monkey. If we're talking about the great filter, <laughs> this is really interesting. I just listened to a podcast about this where the um, – and I'm not going to remember the name of the podcast, so uh, great plug, John. <laughs> but um, Don't worry. It took us 15 minutes to get to like, <laughs> OXV the manual. The, <laughs> Come um, back to it. So there, people are investigating the, the, the idea of these filters and like how rare is it that we have a stable planet for the amount of time that we have. And it yeah, turns yeah. out that it's very rare to have big – planets on the outer rings mm -hmm. and small planets on the inner rings because big planets tend to drift towards the sun that they're orbiting gravity and would and would rip up any smaller planets that yeah, are yeah. on the inside so it and then remember it took three billion years to get from life to multicellular life yeah, on yeah. earth so there needs to be a stable system for like a really long period of time maybe that jump to multicellular life is really rare and hard mm -hmm. and it turns out that our system because it has four ones on the outer, yeah. Saturn and Uranus and Neptune exerted a restrictive pull against Jupiter, stopping it from going into the center and ripping it up. Right. And the asteroid belt that's around on the outside of Mars and between Jupiter might actually have been another planet that was shredded by Jupiter drifting closer yeah, yeah. and going back out. So it looks like in that regard, you know, we do have something lucky going mm -hmm. on here. And so the guy who was talking about that said he like ran the numbers. How many systems have the right configuration of planets to potentially do whatever? Yeah, yeah. And he came up with a number that probably there was one or two in, like chances for intelligent life in the Milky Way. Right. Right. Crazy. Yeah. But I mean, but then the, there's that at least still means that we're like hundreds. I seem to <laughs> recall know? the number being that there is a hundred billion solar systems in the Milky Way. Yeah. And there's double that visible galaxies in the universe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? So there's an awful lot of stuff out there. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. And but, but I but I think it's it's interesting to think about the fact that how how likely is it for a planet to I guess like get past all of those evolutionary barriers, achieve mastery over the planet and then like achieve mastery over like monstrous power like manipulation to get to the point where interstellar travel would be like possible. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's like, it's that's, that's an even crazier thing. Like think about the kind of power you're, it's like, it's way above atomic. Like the kind of power you'd be manipulating to get to like light speed or faster than light speed. You're it's probably never exactly. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like, it's, and, but it's absurd because that's also like you could annihilate like star systems in the blink of an eye probably well, so you know, like <laughs> if you go to um pbs space time the youtube channel mm -hmm. they have really 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 good videos on like astrophysics and space and whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and the idea behind the channel is that it's like we are going to do like high level explanations of stuff yeah. quickly and we're going to expect that you have to watch all the earlier videos and that you have to watch a video three or four times to really get it. So they're covering yeah, yeah. like a lot of material really quickly. And they do one about how the speed of light has nothing to do with light. Yeah. It has to do with causality. And yeah. it is the speed of causality. And if, in fact, you are traveling faster than light, you are traveling back in time. And all kinds of other physics gets all yeah, fucked yeah, up. Yeah. There's like very, very good reason to believe it's li never, ever, ever, anywhere ever going to happen. Right, but you get space full. Yeah, but the the notion of doing that in a way that would uh, that would be useful to you yeah. would require more energy than there is in the universe. Like yeah. it's just it's preposterous. To, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I was watching a Vsauce <clears throat> about uh, light speed travel, mm -hmm. whatever, and I was saying anyway they they ended up coming up with a really interesting thing where they were like the, one of the a, a this is about not about light speed anymore, but it started off as a video about light speed and talking about. Obviously, like you said, that it's a constant, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's a measure. I'm sure I'm butchering all this, right? Jared's going to laugh at us for yeah, for sure. He's going to yeah. be like, Mrr, plebs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So they were talking about as a point, a point of interest. If you believe that we're living in a uh, simulation, mm -hmm. a point of interest if, you're, if we're living in a simulation is the fact that we have irrational numbers. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean? Because, so, for a number to be never-ending, the computing power would need to be never-ending of whatever's running the simulation. No, that's dumb. Yeah. You'd only need to calculate it to the level that people inside the simulation have observed it. Right. So, but you'd be running up the number the entire time. You'd just be continually draining memory banks all the time because we're continually calculating pi. So... Yeah, but it's it's like... You think that people with the computing power to design a simulation would be enough to outstrip the computing power that we have inside the simulation? Sure. By a wide margin. But but then, like I said, but because it, like because there's a slew of irrational numbers, they're like anyway. People would point to it as I'm not saying it's impossible for the simulation to do it, but yeah. they're just sort of like it would be much easier for the, for the universe to not contain irrational numbers from a strictly designing a program standpoint. They're like, why yeah. would you? Anyway, it's an I think it's a good argument. I, I mean, why? but again, I just think it's like, if you were to design a simulation to support human life, why would you create this like computational drain for no reason when everything could just line up into rational numbers? Well, how about, why, why do you think that they even would be calculating them? Well, because we're calculating them. Who's we? Humans. Yeah, but why do you think everybody is in the same simulation? What? Like, <laughs> wh- like why do you think that I am not a, simu- a simulated Right, it would be way easier to do each simulation individual to the person. You'd only need to calculate the shit that they see. I suppose. And then there, most people don't go out of a very small radius of of life. And right. then you'd only need to render whatever the stuff that they're looking at. Yeah, I guess. And like, think of how simple most people are and your interactions with human beings out in the world. And you think, oh, that's even crazier because check this out. So maybe. They do that, and there are no real scientists, John. That's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're calculating it. <laughs> and just like all, all high-level scientists or whatever are just NPCs, and no one's actually that guy. And yeah. they're just like, it's designed to make you feel like you're like, I couldn't be that guy. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. So you don't think about it too hard because you're like, yo, this is impossible. Like they, desi- they design the concept of like metaphysics and stuff to be so non-accessible that you would never think about it too hard so mm-hmm. that you can't like actually get out of that. Well, or it's like my, my supposition before where it's like if you are not capable of getting into that stuff, then you get to die and you don't exit the simulation. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. Exciting. Uh-huh. So what else is going on, John? I don't know. You, you handed me this big piece of paper. I did hand you this about, piece of paper. Yeah. And I, I kind of had that as – Something that I did want to talk about, but I also did want to ask you about um, archery tag. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. So um, this uh, last Tuesday, Mm -hmm. I went with my brother and six to eight of his friends Mm -hmm. to do a thing called um, bow. I believe it is called archery tag, and I believe dodgeball is the Montreal brand. Okay. Well, I went to Dodgebow. Yeah, yeah. And um, Dodgebow is... It's like laser tag versus laser quest, I think. Right. I don't know. Okay. I Googled it. (laughs) <laughs> Great. Uh, I, I I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. So dodge bow is exactly what it sounds like. You get a, like a 20-pound bow, mm-hmm. um, and then you have arrows that have like a foamy bit at the end, mm-hmm. and um, you line up on opposite sides on a on like a big – kind of like a gym, mm-hmm. you know? And then they put uh, inflatable terrain around so you can hide behind that, and then there's arrows in the middle, and then you play a bunch of games. So it's like um, uh, just basic – if you get shot, it's called no loyalty. If you get shot, you switch sides. Like mm-hmm. you, you run off the map, you run on the other side, and then you just start playing. And then when one side has everybody, they win. Yep. You have like um, a zombie game where if you shoot somebody, they become a zombie. And as a zombie, you run to like a little zone behind the enemy team. Mm-hmm. And then if the if a person backs into you, the zombie can touch you, and then you get turned into a zombie, and you go on the enemy. You know, you go behind the other enemy team. Okay. And then um, you just try and like shoot each other. Last man standing. Yeah. That team wins. Seems a lot yeah. of var- like seems like a lot of variations of dodgeball, but, but with that's exactly what it is. Yeah, but yeah. with bows. Um, and I mean, and subsequently, I guess, uh, buffo sword fighting, but with bows and arrows. Yes. <laughs> and you and you have. But what's nice about this is that you have a face mask, and mm-hmm. the arrows don't really hurt mm-hmm. that much. Like I took one like spout, straight in the face, and yep. it stings, but it's not a big deal. It hurts much less than um, like paintball. Uh, paintball yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're also not so, shooting a gun. You're shooting a bow. My legs are still stiff a goddamn week later. From constant squats? From constant squats. Like, high-speed squats when you're under stress. You know, like, you're looking up because people are going to be shooting at you. Yeah. And you've got to squat really quick and grab an arrow. And yeah. uh, you're not allowed to carry around multiple arrows. So you kind of are incentivized to, to have to run and get them off of the floor and whatever. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, is that a workout? That's good. Holy crap. So would you, are you going to join a league, John? I don't know about joining a league, but I would definitely go back. It was um, an excellent workout, and for 20 bucks, 
Um, I'm sure there's probably like a discount if you join a membership. Yeah, so the membership is like 20 bucks a month or $25 a month. And then once you're a member, you can go unlimited games Monday to Thursday. And then you you have to schedule on the weekend or something. It's super cheap. It's the same cost for one session as it is for a month's of membership. Um, Excellent price. And honestly, it was super, super fun. Mm -hmm. Super fun. Ah, That's it. I'm just, I, I'm just saying Henry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I'm just like, I'm just trying to think. I was like, it'd be also kind of great because if you did fencing and then you did dodgeball and whatever, you're just like, your your brother is like practicing uh, like primitive survival and you're like, I'm practicing medieval survival. <laughs> medieval. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just sort of like, I'm proficient with sword weaponry and bows and arrows. Yeah. I really kind of regret not keeping up the fencing. It was yeah. really, really fun, really good workout. And it was just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's hard. Like, I, I just I mean, you, you guys were just talking about that when you were doing it and then inviting me over i was like man just finding the the night a week oh for sure and, and the energy not just a night a night energy yeah, yeah a night where you're like i'm gonna do physical stuff and yeah. it's like i need to get out of the house and go and do and have an energy up for physical it's just so hard yeah which i mean i guess is part of aging and stuff yep Oh boy! Hey, uh, yeah. So dodgeball would recommend. Would recommend. Um, definitely, like it's goofy fun. You know, you're not. I mean, you yeah, got to be signing up for that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, dude, we played like it's it. It seems like laser tag within bow and arrow. Yep. Yeah, which I think is is kind of uh, cool. Uh, I meanwhile over the weekend I went to uh, Tohu. Okay. Tohu is restaurant. one of Montreal's circus. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them. Organi- excuse me. Circus organization. Steve's girlfriend lived with like eight of the Tohu people. She's yeah, like yeah, good yeah, friends. It. So they're they're this whole thing. If you're not familiar, you can look them up. They they have a a complex, I guess, in uh, Saint Michel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like a nice big theater up there, and they are simultaneously a like a circus platform mm-hmm. and school, hmm. where the they're one of the, uh, the like schools where they teach you circusing. And stuff. So their their production and like this production is kind of interesting because they went to it was I think cheaper than a lot of the other stuff you'd kind of go to. And then on top of that too, uh, Fido had Fido extra, so it was like fifty percent off. What kind of a show was it? Uh, so it was a very good. It was like the level, the caliber was very high, but it was each and every act was like uh, an act being developed by someone from another company. So they had someone from Cirque Eloise, they had someone from Cirque du Soleil, they huh. had someone from whatever. So it was like a lot of the – there was some of the pageantry and costuming, but like way toned down from something like going to see a full-style Cirque Eloise or Cirque du Soleil sure, sure. kind of vibe. Like there were – like a, uh, like the trapeze artist was in like skin-tight black trapeze clothes, not like an absurd costume Cirque or whatever. Cirque du Soleil or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And the trapeze didn't have like vines dangling from it or whatever. It mm-hmm. was just the trapeze. It was boss. Like it, it didn't it didn't change the caliber of the performance in any way, mm-hmm. but it, it certainly like was missing the like the trappings that you expect of a full production. Right. If that makes sense. But yeah, no, so it was all like all of the performances were super high caliber circus stuff. Like there was one guy did, um, oh yeah, Slackline Montreal was there. Yep. So, yeah. uh, and that guy did it. It was crazy. He did a whole, a whole tightrope, uh, thing, which I was like, it was weird. And I feel there was almost like a meta element to how hard it was because the entire thing was done as though the guy was like scared mm-hmm. of doing it. So he's like wobbling and almost falling constantly. That's and I was amazing. Like, and I was like, I was like, like if you were just like watching it on the surface, you'd be like, okay, well, there's learning. But you're like, but then you're like, no, this guy's like, this bal- is controlled screwing up. Yeah, yeah. like, and, and just like for the entire thing, it was like him, like, 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 like continually wobbling, tilting, like way over, tilting all the way over, like always on shaky legs. I was like, Holy. I love it. Yeah, it was great. But I was just sort of like, I'm like, who, like. If I was a kid, I'd be like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. But, like, understanding the piece of it, I'd be like, whoa, this is even, Incredible. This yeah. is even more insane than just normal, like, normal tightrope walking. It's like Jerkin Master Kung Fu kind of, you know? It's, you're shaking all yeah, over. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was super cool. Um, mm. There was one of the, the late – there, there was a trapeze artist. There was a guy who had uh, – who did, like, the sticks – with the like rope. devil sticks? Kind of. Like sticks and the, I forget, it's like two kind of, I guess, cones and they balance. Oh, on yeah. The and then they're spinning kind of. Yeah. And, and they're spinning. A, it's kind of like a cable like between a the two sticks. yo-yo stick. Sure. Or sure. whatever. I don't know. Like, and it's so weird because like, <laughs> it looks super difficult and I'm sure it is 
fantastically difficult because yeah. he has like these sticks and he's like he at one point had three of those things huh. on the sticks and he was like flipping them up into the air and like and doing like standing back flips and like whipping the rope around and like and it looked incredible but i was like mid 2000s raves wants their g job back. kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and i'm just like i'm like also i was like trapeze guy was flipping real good <laughs> you know and i'm like and <laughs> it's like such a different application of skill and yeah. like coordination but I was like I was like as cool and as much as I'm sure you hit your 10,000 hours of practice <laughs> and as like as much as you're like manipulating physics and you're doing flippies and cartwheels or whatever I was like just trapezes look way cooler <laughs> than yeah. what you're doing uh, same thing there was another was there a chick who had the rings that it's like an enormous pair of rings maybe like 8 feet in diameter I've seen that and before. they roll between them they're so cool yeah, yeah. They, I, they did not have a ring lady yeah. they did have um, the, the one of the performers who was a Cirque du Soleil alumni did an entire um, product thing on you know like a luggage moving device in a hotel like with the bellhop sure. pushes around, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like it's like on like four wheels. Yeah. So she does does this thing, and she's like spinning it mm-hmm. and like moving with it, and then doing like gymnast things up on the various bars, which was like very cool and impressive to begin with. But then she hooks the thing to a cable and like goes like forty feet up, maybe not forty feet, but like 30, 40 feet, maybe forty feet actually. Mm-hmm. Now that I think of it, into the air, and then continues spinning and doing flippities, and like she is not on even a safety line huh. at that point. Only the bellhop device is on a safety line and it's like counterweighting her not really counterweighting her she's just like imagine the bellhop thing like imagine like you know you can like push it and then like scoot it with your leg or whatever and then imagine you like do like chin-ups and like flips among the bars of the bellhop thing now imagine the thing is spinning in the air (laughs) which what, what part is like connecting her to the ceiling the the top of the bellhop okay, thing. Like, okay. like the and then she's the like hanging off of it yeah, while it's, it's fine. And it's on a spinning <laughs> pivot. Yeah, and I was like, I felt very scared for her. Because any time I see like a like, like the tightrope walker and the trapeze artist had safety harnesses mm-hmm. on, and she did not. And I was like, I mean, I guess you're... She was the only one who was like a Cirque du Soleil alum, so maybe there's just like, she's she's next tier. There's another level. Yeah, yeah, there's a next tier of physical mastery. Do you know if people have ever died doing Cirque du Soleil? Have they ever fucked it up real bad? I th- I feel like there was one. I think so, and yeah. I don't think it was at a show. I think it was in a rehearsal, which yeah. I feel is where they probably die. Like, yeah. like not to sound like super callous, but it's yeah. probably working out the... Like, I feel that by the time it is a presented They've done it so many show, times. it's like it's, it's you've attained, like, mastery yeah. or something. But, yeah, I feel that when, when you're working it out, there's probably... Mm-hmm. And if I'm... Okay, you know, like I, this is a complete... Someone can Google this or whatever <laughs> if you want to. This is a completely like drawing from my head. I think it was something like they got tangled in the harness and choked themselves out or something. Huh. It was it was a like a fluke accident of like one of those like spinning things and got them around. I remember reading about that. I don't know if it was Cirque du Soleil, but it was some Quebec circus hmm. thing. It wasn't Spider Man. Turn off the dark. <laughs> was Tohu expensive? Uh, no, it was so the um, for the air quotes expensive tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fifty bucks, and like I said. Fido Extra last week had a 25% off, so it was 25 bucks. But even regularly, like you could get tickets for $25 and you would not be very far away. Mm-hmm. And like the Fido, if you had the Fido Extra deal on the cheap seats, it would have been 12 bucks. Like, That's really not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super. Yeah. Compared, compared to like a Cirque du Soleil production being like 100. Sure. Like sure. easily. And, uh, and yeah, they put on a bunch of shows. And like I said, it's a little bit weird to get to at St. Michelle, but yeah. it's still. In the summertime, it would be what maybe like a ten-minute walk from a metro. Like that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Cirque Tohu. Huh. The other thing. So do we want to talk about this? I don't know, man. Uh, this seems kind of grim when I look at your the notes that you got here. It's a little grim, but it's a little interesting. I okay. think. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess the um, we can start with the happy part. Okay. So the, why this drew my attention is I'd heard about it when it uh, when it all went down. What we're talking about is yeah, it did too. There was a. It was like last summer. Uh, there was a, a lot of, I guess, allegations and reports that there was like kind of rampant sexism at Riot Games, mm-hmm. which is a misnomer. They're a Riot Game, and their game is League of Legends. They do not oh, make. Oh come on! <laughs> it's it's very funny. Uh, they tried, I think. Did they? Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, so Riot Games, uh, who makes League of Legends, there was like all these reports coming out all at the same time. Which, uh, to I guess their credit, they even as the reports were coming out, they had a couple of things in place at like corporate not i guess restructuring but like policy changes and stuff that have were starting to take place i think in april or may mm-hmm. so maybe they knew stuff were coming out and they wanted to get ahead of the ahead of the backlash or they were just 
like a victim of their own success realized they had a problem and then started to fix it and then it started getting reported that they had a problem i don't know like i'm not gonna pin it on it like one of the things that they kind of uh talk about in this article is the fact of they're like what do you do when something explodes the way league of legends is it's like Mm -hmm. you just you start off just like hiring your friends and you hire like-minded people and you want to deliver real fast and then you're like oh we have a massive culture problem because of how we worked here and now undoing that because our foundation was just made with a bunch of bro-y white dudes mm-hmm. who designed a game together. Now we have the a giant billion-dollar company on the foundation of a bunch of bro-y white dudes who made in, a game In together. a matter of, like, three years, right? Yeah. Four years they went to multi-billion-dollar Yeah, exactly. That, that's it. That's what they say. He's like... Um, one of the uh, one of the former rioters, which is their name of, for employees, mm-hmm. he was like, I think Riot has grown very fast and not having planned our organizational structure that encourages diversity has hurt us. We're trying to fix that now. It's just hard to fix things when they've already started. Mm-hmm. It's easier to start things the right way and then build on that. Which I think is, I guess, looking at this whole situation in the, I guess, the best possible light of, of hopefully, hopefully it wasn't done like expressly mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like yeah, like really it was it. it was just like you started off as two bros making a game and then you hired more bros and now you have an entire corporate structure that rewards like bros yep uh but anyway so this all i think came together uh or not came together but i think got a lot of uh, attention when cecilia d'anastasio from kutaku hmm. wrote uh like i guess my guess would be like a six to seven thousand word piece uh, called Inside the Culture of Sexism and Riot Games. What was Games. it on? It was like huge. It was on Kotaku. Kotaku. Yeah, it was on Kotaku. Yep. And this piece, if you want to look it up, like I said, it's, I mean, even at like 6,000, 7,000 words, it's still a very quick read. That's mm-hmm. not that's not a tremendous amount of words, but it's still like a lot longer than a normal kind of like video game uh, sure. journalism piece. And citing like tons and tons and tons of sources from uh, previous uh, rioters, speaking with reps from Riot Games who are still working there. Uh, anyway, she wrote this article, Inside the Culture of Sexism at Riot Games. And interestingly, the reason why I popped back up into my feed was it was nominated for a Writers Guild Award in Digital News <laughs> and in fact won, which I thought that was like almost, I guess we could talk a little bit about the story, but also almost as big of a story that uh, a video game story got rec- recognized for like real... Real journalism. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rare. Like, yeah. the video game news industry is it's, really... How much yeah. advertising? 95%? Yeah, you exactly. Know? That's it. So, yeah. I, that, that that was it. So, I mean, just just to go through the article, sure. and I think that it's... Uh, and I think one of the reasons why it possibly resonated as big as it did, and then possibly even why it ended up win- winning this award, is I think that it, it's probably indicative of, like, a lot of tech companies. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think it's probably exclusively Riot Games that got built this way especially tech and especially video games right and i think it's symptomatic of a lot of what is wrong with gamers in the way like when uh, like they often talk about like girls continually being asked to um like back up their cred you know mm-hmm. like a, a girl wrote that she played world of warcraft and then had like multiple interview questions about like what was your favorite trinket and what was your favorite raid and like and whatever where it was like and she was like i asked my colleagues and they didn't they were like, oh, you play WoW? Like, like WoW? Cool. Yeah. You know, like, that would be the response if John put his, put played WoW on his resume. Yeah. You know, same thing, too, with their, they have corporate um, corporate policies where they're like, we only kind of, like, hire gamers and whatever. And regardless of if you're a dev or not, they're like, gamers are, like, what make this company go and blah, 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 blah. But they're mm-hmm. like, but then when you get there, when they say gamers, they mean MOBAs and FPSs. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and if you don't, if you're not hardcore and online on, on either a MOBA or an FPS, you're not, like, you're less than. So, right. like, one of the other accounts that they have in the article is someone who was really into board games. And they're just like, nah. You know? <laughs> you're just mm-hmm. like, okay. Or, like, someone who played a lot of RPGs, uh, you know? And it's like, was, yeah, you're a gamer, but, like, less than. And one of the things the article kind of draws uh, draws some comparisons to that's, like, I think, kind of, again kind of indicative of like bigger problems than just at riot games is there like there's this culture of superiority in gaming and even i think even more expressly pc gaming mm-hmm. right like pc master race is a term that's like thrown around as a joke admittedly but like when you when you're saying master race <laughs> you know like there's connotations there that are not like not chill to every other gamer you know mm-hmm. what i mean like if you're like oh this is the master race of gaming it doesn't you don't have to deconstruct that heavily to feel that you're like yeah that's a 
that's not a nice a little way. loaded yeah. yeah exactly that's it. like yeah. you chose that phrase and like you can say like pc master race at a gaming convention and get like cheers you know well, to, okay hold on dude i to get it that fair, it's a joke it's it's a joke and it's it's like a joke on purpose to exaggerate the uh, arguments that people get into about stupid shit like which console is better. Right. And that goes back way before anybody said PC Master Race. It was fueled by Sega, right? Yeah. Right? And, and, and like the console wars of the early 90s. I think that, that, that predates that, the PC Master Race term. That, that is you with like an analytical brain of not an asshole. I believe yeah. there are people who will walk around and legitimately believe they are better. Yeah, but they're 19. And yeah. they're, everybody was an idiot when they were 19. And then they're making games. Okay. I'm not, <laughs> whatever. I'm not, I'm not defending any of these anyway, guys. I'm, I'm just saying, but it, it, and it's like the same thing. One of the things that they talk about is like League likes it a lot when you're a League player. And then they're like, and League as a general, like of the last several years, have had to take numerous actions against toxic players. Yeah. Like to a, an absurd degree of just like, how toxic league can get and i think it's it's based based on the elements that it takes to be like good at league when they were saying like how come league is worse than call of duty and like supposedly as per there's absolutely toxicity at call of duty Mm -hmm. and they're like but how come and they're like because the level of dedication to get good at league is higher than in an fps your reflexes and stuff are i would would argue the the core reason is that your dependence on your team members is much higher in a game of league than it is in a game of call of duty yeah yeah. like people have to work as a team and they have to work well and one person can screw a 40 minute matchup for the team that they're on yeah and uh everybody's anonymous (laughs) you know that's the other one they just just turn on them real hard Yeah. yeah Yeah, I know, and it was just like just reading that article, and I was like, man, it's such a bummer because video games is one of my favorite things, Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, and there's just a lot of a lot of terrible stuff going on in in games. I think it was, and I mean, hope hopefully at least like uh, one of the things they talk about is they um, they hired a lady named Soha El Sabawi, who Mm -hmm. is uh, now in charge of their diversity and inclusion initiatives. So she's been there for about two and a half years and previously worked at a uh, nonprofit. And she was um, like basically like straight up said that like a lot of things had to change when she uh, when she came out, like when she came to. I'm seeing a quote here that says Riot ran, quote, definitely not sexual harassment training, quote. Yeah, that was the name (laughs) of their purpose. That was the name of their man because California passed a uh, a bylaw having manual sexual harassment training. Yeah. And they were they were like, it was a joke because of the definitely not Dominion mode or whatever. And you're like, and and like, and that's my point where I was like, I get like the PC Master Race thing. I get it that it's mostly a joke, but some people are just do not understand you don't joke about everything always. You know what I mean? Like it's, and so I'm sure whoever thought that was like, aren't we freaking clever? No, you're not clever. That's not how you name a sexual harassment training that is mandatory by the government. Like, ah, uh, yeah, it's just, um, yeah. The, the one of the other things that they, they talked about, which is kind of the worst is like the perception of, uh, being overly emotional and demonstrating grit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Explain. So they were like, um, if someone doesn't back down from their idea and gets really passionate about it, mm-hmm. they were saying that like a, an expression that often gets thrown around because because like, Rockstar, not Rockstar, Riot, you know, Rockstar probably does it too. I mean, yep. <laughs> like Riot has a very, um, what they call like, uh, like, like they reward aggression kind of thing where, hmm. where you're just sort of like, if you're passionate about your idea, defend it with all of your passion and whatever. And it's like, and then we are an open forum for that kind of behavior. And they're like, so they're like, often when guys will do that, they're like, this is something I really, really stand by. They're being like, whoa, this guy's showing tremendous grit. And like a girl doing something very similar is being like, this girl's being overly emotional. Right. And I was like, God. And yeah, and that's one of the, uh, one of the examples that they have. That's I think, pr- again, probably an, very prevalent not just in video games but all over the world i guess is a woman who literally presented one idea one week to her team mm-hmm. then got her coworker to present the same idea like a week or two later and while she was shot down when her male coworker presented it he gets it in yeah so jordan peterson has a thing that he says about this mm-hmm. he, among many other things that he says but one of them is um we don't know if men and women can work together right like historically most jobs have mm-hmm. had a division between the sexes, mm-hmm. right? And then it's like very modern to have men and women working together. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't know what the rules are that's going to make all of that work out okay. Mm-hmm. There probably needs to be way better rules. This is like, this is one attempt at it, but but 
you know, this we're, like it's worth remembering we're brand fucking new at this. Yeah. And I guess this kind of like ties into what we were talking about earlier, right? Which is like you you got to be you got to hit a certain degree of enlightenment to maybe get passed <laughs> over your like your evolutionary imperatives. Like if, if you like, even can, you know? Like you could subdue them maybe, but but children don't are not going to be able to subdue them and teens certainly aren't and young adults maybe a little more. Yeah. Maybe you know you can't work with a, with mixed things until you're 40. <laughs> It's possible, but I mean, I think that there's also a lot of it that gets raised up. Like, did you hear the thing, uh, read the thing about gendered gendered clothing being like, I think, in, like a product for the last like hundred something years? Yeah, or, totally. To sell more clothes. Because yeah. you, 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 like you had less kids and you could just share the kids' clothes because kids below a certain age were only wearing the same, the same outfits. Furthermore, yeah. you tended to buy them dresses because it was easier to change them. Yep. So, like, there's, <laughs> but there's like a, uh, it's not that. Franklin. Franklin Roosevelt. I saw this picture, too. In, has in like a, a little tutu. In a little dress with his yeah. little pigtails or whatever. He is adorable. Yeah, exactly. He's even wearing, like, little shoesies. <laughs> with, with the brass buckles on them all shiny. Yeah. Exactly. And you're just sort of like, and, and they were just sort of like, yeah, dresses are by far the easiest thing to change the kids on. Like, we don't, don't have even pull-on, pull-off totally. diapers. They're, like, yeah. wrapping up these diapers and putting it together by pins. Just be like, up with your dress, Franklin. And, like, <laughs> and then just pin up his little diapers and deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, that makes sense. And you're like, uh-oh. Now that kids, people are having more kids and more disposable income and whatever, let's mix up the genders of clothing so that you can't have hand-me-downs as easily. Yeah. Thanks, someone. Man, screw that. If I ever have kids, I'm going to put them in a bag of sand. And if they make a mess, you change the sand. <laughs> they won't get into trouble, neither. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but I mean, like, that's what I think is there. there's – I think there's a lot of things that are uh, obviously – based on us being monkeys. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of it based on like toxic masculinity and like gender norms being hardcore enforced over the ages of like like there like you know what I mean? Like like there is like the, the concept of manliness is a construct, you know? Like it's So just, is the concept of womanliness. Yeah. And, oh yeah, no no. Like saying, there's, but in both in you know what I mean? In both regards, being like this is the right thing to do because this is what a man does, like it's such a nonsense argument. Like this is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do and it's being a nice person. Like it's not like, we've tied, like, society or, like, historically has tied, like, being heroic to gender and it's mm-hmm. manly. You know, and you're like, what? You know, like, I feel that all of our media and all of our folklore and all of our everything guides gender, I feel, much more strongly than you necessarily distinguish gender as a kid you know, mm-hmm. without those knowledge of like G.I. Joe versus Barbie and all those like all so, the different all the they did a thing constructs. in Sweden where mm-hmm. they um, they ran a study in a whole bunch of kindergarten classes where they put toys out and they they were absolutely imperatively careful not to tell the kids what toys to play with. Yep. And the boys gravitated to the trucks and the girls gravitated to the dolls. Mm-hmm. But these are st- but dude, how much stimulus has that kid had even at kindergarten already? I don't. Know. They, they, so the study was was like aggressively trying to to like weed that stuff out. Yep. Not that you necessarily can, mm-hmm. but they found and it, they followed them over years and years and found that there there are differences between the genders and a lot of that stuff is not. Uh, there is there are elements that are cultural, no question. I'm but sure there are it, elements that are not. And I think, but but I mean, like preference of things like that doesn't necessarily translate into like men don't cry and like whatever else. You know what I mean? Like no. Like, like the fact that we've developed a, and I'm, I'm just talking about men because I'm not well enough versed in what women get exposed to. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not. I mean, like I wasn't raised as a girl. Yep. So I don't know necessarily what things uh, girls are being told. But I mean, like, you can imagine like obviously being thin and looking pretty and makeup and all that stuff mm-hmm. is like what they get on the other side. But yeah, like that notion of, oh, like re- you don't cry or show emotion was like very much a thing that was just like, I don't even think it was ever overtly talked about but it was like certainly implied heavily absolutely yeah. you know by like by my parents who just sort of like and if i was a girl i was allowed to cry mm-hmm. you know i'm like that's a weird thing to be putting into a kid <laughs> like it's just anyhow yeah yeah so i think that we have like much like real real long ways to go to dismantle that before it becomes like okay in a workplace i mean honestly the world's going to collapse the environment is going to fry everybody before right. we, we get we get any of that stuff solved tragically um let's watch tv i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> on that note uh i watched um a what, what is it about if there's two movies 
Is it a duality? It's not a trilogy, but there's only two in a series. A pair? A pair. I watched uh, a pair of films. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. I watched the Happy uh, Death Day cycle. cycle. Pair. Pair. Yeah, I watched the first well, one and the uh, the second one came out. What's Happy Death Day? Uh, so it's Happy Death Day and then the sequel, Happy Death Day to You. It just came out on Valentine's Day, so it's still in theaters if this seems interesting to you. Okay. I would say that Happy Death Day outshines Happy Death Day to You. Okay. My, my what is Happy Death Day? Um, so a girl wakes up uh, in the bed of a dorm room of a guy that she lo- appears to have just slept with. Mm-hmm. And uh, then discovers that uh, she's going to die. And every time she dies, she resets. So you sure this wasn't um, Russian Doll? It wasn't Russian Doll. That is the Netflix <laughs> series. Okay. Uh, it wasn't Groundhog's Day. It wasn't Groundhog's Day. It predates Russian Doll. Like, okay. the first one came out, I think, 2016 or 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, yep, she just resets. It's kind of a comedy. Um, the the it, and it, it, like it goes through like weird hijinks of her kind of trying to find who her killer is because mm-hmm. uh, she's like a, killed mostly by a murderer, so <laughs> by a person in a creepy baby mask because she's like starts to try to do detective work to to rule those things out. Try so to hold f- on, and then it happens again. It's like the same setup. <laughs> Not only is it the same setup, it's the, it's the same day with the same characters. That's amazing. <laughs> Like, it's ballsy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, guys, we had a lot of fun making that last movie. Let's just fucking do it yeah, again. Exactly. But the thing, the, the, where the first one, I think, succeeds is that uh, they just essentially need to figure out a situation where she doesn't die, and it kind of breaks the cycle. Mm-hmm. And then it breaks the cycle for a certain period of time, and then it resets back <laughs> to the day Boy, again. that's frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the second one... Uh, the reason why I think it doesn't succeed quite as much is that it, it delves into the weird pseudoscience of how right. it's happening. Like the kids at college or university or whatever have made some sort of a particle accelerator and it went of on course. the fritz. And of they, course. And they, they calculate some More particles. Yeah, they just they, they throw out the most nonsensey nonsense science words to try yeah. to explain it. But then it's like they kind of go the other route where it's like so she needs to basically become uh, – like she has to cram – a certain amount of like astrophysics into her brain because she's like, like the scientist kids like figured out they're like, okay, but we're gonna have to like run all these different like permutations of the of the algorithm and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but the problem is we won't know which algorithms we ran because we're only ever gonna have today. You carry on memory, so they need to like give her like crash courses and like learning the algorithms uh-huh. so she can actually retain the knowledge and tell them at the beginning of the day. Anyway, does it work? Is all of this fun? It's pretty fun. I would say the first one is more fun because it doesn't get bogged down in explaining why mm-hmm. you're in a time loop, <laughs> and then the second one is like a lot more about the time loop. Right. What would what prevented this series of films from I think being like a comic delight okay uh is the kills needed to be like way more over the top mm-hmm. like uh like it, it's a lot of like someone gets stabbed and there's like a bit of blood on the wall and then then they wakes Cut. up like yeah. like it, it, it's like violence wise is like pg at best which I, I don't know if it's actually rated pg but like it would have the i think you know how like when the violence is like and I get this is like a terrible comparison because like we're talking about a goofy time travel horror or time loop horror movie right. versus like a really good TV show. But like you know like when the violence or end film like when the violence in Fargo hits and you're yeah. like whoa yep. and it's like such a yeah. weird departure from the comedy. Yep. Yeah. If that if this movie had that, it would be like honestly like a like a very good candidate in comedy horror like huh. like other thing like the comedy is pretty good the premise is pretty good the acting is pretty good if it just had that weird like. Like, if, like, if each death, like, whoa, like, shocked you a little bit, mm-hmm. you, I think it would have, it would have done, like, served as a really it, good... It creates, like, contrast, you know? You can have low-key humor contrasted by grotesque horror. Yeah, exactly, you know? that's it. And, like, while you, and, like, it, it also, like, would, like, there's, like, uh, the second movie, I think, has the most effective one, where, so she's, like, she basically decides that, uh, knowing that she's back in that day with the killer... Where she's like, I don't want to have to deal with being killed, so I'm going to like take my matters into my own hands. So she does like a certain portion of the day and then kills herself, right? And whatever, and then she just like runs through like a series of like crazier and crazier uh, ways to kill herself. And like at one per- one point, she just like dives headfirst into a wood chipper. And that and that was like one of the ones where you're like, whoa! You just see her like running, like sprinting, and then dying, and it just does like Fargo style, like <laughs> like out the thing. And I was like, yeah, I was like that. Every time she dies, should have that like whoa, like. Right. 
like knee jerk kind of. Okay, moment. do you want to you want to rank this guy? Sure. Both of them. I mean, I guess we could rank them as a pair. Sure. I'm not opposed to ranking. Although them. you say one of them is clearly superior to the other, perhaps you're doing either a service or a disservice to the to the mm, set. I guess so. Hang on. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's start at warm bodies. One fourteen. I feel like this is in that in that kind of area. I would put the first one above warm bodies. Uh-huh. Uh It was it was like remarkably fun. No, I'm not saying very hot, very far above Warm Bodies, but I'm saying above right, Warm Bodies. Right. Warm Bodies okay. is what number? 114. 114. And above it. I'm trying to find something somewhere that would be above it, like Flatliners. Oh, that's a 2017 one. I didn't see it. Um, um, it's not going to get past We Are Your Friends. Okay. <laughs> so. You know, there's not a lot of space in there. And um, I mean, I'm looking. It's definitely below Crush Groove. Definitely right. below Crush Groove. Things you it's don't hear. But, it's like, but you know how Crush Groove was like fun? Yeah. Like it, it's Except a little bit too much of the, uh, the, the fat, fat boys. boys. <laughs> yeah, there's well, just a little. Um, so look, if it's not getting past where are your friends, then uh, perhaps you want to put it above Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, I guess so. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Okay. I'm just wondering if it does maybe go above where are your friends because it is a fun time loop. I don't know. It's fine there. All right. uh, the other one, on the other hand, I would put... Below warm bodies. Below warm bodies. Yeah. You got it. So I got a huge list of uh, movies that I saw. It's been like a while. I've been hitting Shudder really hard, which I don't know if you've noticed recently. Shudder has a goddamn good list of movies. Dude, it's awesome. Like, I have not, I didn't, I don't know, it was like two or three years ago. I didn't even bother logging in. I just kept my account <laughs> active. But, um, man, really good movies. Like, not horror movies. They're in, like, sort of, like, tangentially horror yeah, movies. Yeah, they have a like, lot of, like, thrillers and stuff. Enemy, like... no, uh, no Country for Old Men, Eastern Promises, yep. Brick. Like, yep. every one of those would be a great movie night. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, like, stop me when you want me to talk about one of these. Uh, well, which one? I is, watched. Which one are you most excited about? Uh, all of them. Oh. Okay, I'm excited about these two. Okay? okay, Blue Ruin. Okay, and Blue Sunshine. Are they also a pair, or is it just no? Is they're it just totally. They're, they're unrelated. They're <laughs> just. They're, I just picked it two because they said blue. The other ones that I watched that I could talk about: Night of the Living Dead, The Mist, and Changeling. Mm-hmm. Changing was really good. It was way better than I was expecting. I was expecting some goofy, it stupid won, like, shit. Oscars and it was, for writing, man. Yeah, it was really <laughs> serious. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to talk about Blue Sunshine. It's the most culty of the, of the movies okay. there. Okay, so Blue so Sunshine. We can, Blue we, Sunshine. We can come back to this list. Yeah, totally. In the the, um, unfortunately, I, I didn't bring my other notes with the director and the actor name, so this okay. is going to be a kind of shitty thing. But Blue um, Sunshine is a cult horror movie from the late 70s where this guy is at a party with a bunch of his friends, and one of his buddies just, like, shows up in the middle of the party, rambling and raving. All of his hair is falling out, and he starts murdering people. Oh. And then he runs it's away. From Denmark. Sorry? It's from Denmark? Uh, I don't think so. It was pretty... Tries to stop hairless people driven to kill by bad LSD in college? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So oh, it is from Denmark. Was it? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed that. It was. I thought it was shot in L.A. That was like... It, like, being in L.A. was like a part of the movie. Oh, I, it, it takes place in Los Angeles, absolutely. Yeah. And it is American, but it was the Danish director starring Zalman King. Yeah. Uh, written by Jeff Lieberman. Written and directed by Jeff Lieberman. Uh, Deborah... Or maybe it just had its... It had its... It was like debut was in Denmark. Yeah, exactly. It opened in Denmark for yeah. some reason, I think, is what I'm saying. Okay, cool. So, the, um, the, his buddy just starts killing people, and then he runs away. He escapes. But kind of in the confusion, some of the people at the party thought that he was the one murdering. And then the, the cops show up, and the cops are like, okay, it was definitely this guy who escaped. They, didn't, mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't put it all together. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movie is kind of the guy running away from the cops who are always kind of at his tail. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to track down all the, you know, what what happened to his friend to make him go crazy. He realizes that he did some acid back in college. He kind of has a suspicion. He he finds somebody else who loses all their hair and starts killing people. And then the story is that there was like bad acid that took a decade to fuck you up to the point where you lose your shit and start murdering people. Okay. And and then he finds out that there's like 70 tabs that were made at that particular time, you know, yeah, and he yeah, tracks yeah. down a certain number of people. And um, what is there to recommend this movie? It's like... so. Yeah. Here, here is a quote uh, from Fawn Crescentia okay. of Cult Reviews, yeah. who says, I imagine that Lieberman had a checklist for his 70s Styles movie, yeah. things that were popular at the time. Yes. For example, Random Car Chase. Yes. Discotheque. Yes. Conspiracy Theory. Yes. <laughs> this movie is based on true events. Disclaimer at the end of the film. Yes. <laughs> so, so I think that that like, sums up like, kind of what you're saying right here. The movie's title is spoken by his pet parrot. Yeah. Apparently, oh, it's so weird. And the and the the, who, the person who does the voiceover for the pet parrot is actually the director of the movie. The um, <laughs> it, it's like 
it's not shot super well. Like mm-hmm. you can tell it, it has a kind of stiffness to it, but at the same time, it has a kind of creativity that feels like it's coming from people just trying to do weird, different new shit. So the whole movie is like kind of a delight to watch at the same time as it's incredibly campy and has poor, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, low production values and whatever, but there's great dialogue. There's great shots of these crazy hairless people running around murdering mm-hmm. people. And then the climax at the, at the roller disco is, is wonderful. So this guy, uh, yeah. Jeff Lieberman, uh-huh. kind of is like he, so he did a movie called Squirm, okay, which I mean seems uh, wow, it, which featured early makeup work from eventual Oscar-winning makeup artist Rich Baker, Rick Baker, mm-hmm. who's like super classy, like well done. And his was this was and that was Squirm appears to be about worms or something, okay, <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, bloodthirsty worms to the surface and soil tilting mines. Then he made Blue Sunshine. He made a direct to TV movie called Dr. Franken. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he made Just Before Dawn, which is a slasher film. Hmm. Um, follows a group of hikers who travel to Oregon. Oregon, and then get, then he did 1988 of a science. What the hell? Remote control. A video rental clerk who discovers that his store is circulating a VHS of a 1950s science fiction film that has been programmed by aliens to brainwash viewers, causing them to commit murders. Going back to that. Okay. Lieberman did not direct another film after directing Remote Control (laughs) until 17 years later where he directed Satan's Little Helper in 2004. So, like, not – like, for a guy who made this weird, campy nonsense – And incidentally, he was screenwriter on all of these. Wow. So he only ever directed his visions. Yep. (laughs) And his visions were just schlocky horror nonsense. And not with the, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, panache? What, not panache, but, like, when when does people have, like, when they make a ton of them? Oh, like a, like a body of work or a... Yeah, like not, not like an overwhelming body of work, which a lot of these schlock directors ended up with sure, in the 70s, sure. just, like, cranking out the, the slasher flicks. Like, he literally directed one, two, three, four, five, six features. Yep. That was yeah. it. That's all he's done is directed six features. Well, that's more than I've directed. Sure. Um, and this, like, honestly, this is super goofy fun. It's good. Five put, features. Put it on and laugh about it. Yeah. Um, where do we put this on the list, though? I'm kind of thinking around the Evil Dead. It's like, right. It's like got that a little. good? Yeah. Wow. I mean, the thing is, the movies below it get pretty rough. Yeah. This well, one Because uh, I was going to say, because e- Evil Dead, I mean, I know it, it's low because it is, it is rough, yeah. as, as we know. But I find that a lot of the direction in, uh, in Evil Dead... It kind of makes it a little bit of a standout. Oh, uh, totally. Even totally. as a as a, I'm not. I wouldn't put it above Evil Dead. And what, what's below that? Yeah, I have trouble putting anything above or below Ghostbusters by Paul Feig. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we have like some bad horror down there. Like, where's Ghostbusters? I could put it above Warm Bodies. Yeah. I mean, like we're 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 getting into rough kind of movies here, but like, yeah. but they're not all the roughest. Like I'm looking also at like the sound sounds below like Cropsy, probably below Rush. Like Rush was a Ron Howard film. <laughs> yeah, but it was, I mean, I'm just saying. But if we're talking about just like direction wise, like it yeah. was a well directed film. Okay, well I would put it below Cropsy, but um, I would also put it above Revenge. So that's where it's gonna go. All right. You can change it if you uh, if you disagree very strongly. I think that's all right. I think that's. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, which it, I think is the the correct. Like Kickboxer 2016 was also a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Hardly a masterpiece movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and this is there's so many movies. The other one is um, uh, I've only looked at like a couple of them, but I've added a few of them into my list. Mm-hmm. If you look at so Shutter's great, obviously yeah. first of all, yeah. but if you have an Amazon Prime. Uh, Oh, there's a there's a movie I almost want to get Amazon Prime just to watch it, which is um, I'm not gonna remember the title. Okay, but yeah, but yeah, but there's um, like there's a lot of Amazon Prime like originals, which yeah. are like kind of like in its originals, which there's only a handful of. It's like trying to compete with Netflix, but in its not originals, it's just like filling up its backlog with content. So hmm. there's like hordes of 70s exploitation nonsense really in, in Amazon speaking of that turkey shoot is on shutter nice remember turkey shoot I do remember turkey shoot yeah and I remember, I remember when the people had the machine guns firing over it was live ammunition because somehow it was easier to get live ammo <laughs> in Australia than it was to get fakes <laughs> so they were just like well I'll just shoot over the actors heads as they run around yep thanks turkey shoot 
so I think that's it for the I think that's it. Yes. Hi. Thanks for sticking around to the very end of this show. That means you're our number one fan. As our number one fan, maybe you're wondering a way that you can show your support for this. We've set up a few ways, and the boys are going to tell you about it now. If you like this show, you might know other people that like this show, or maybe they'll like some of the other stuff that we're doing on the website. If that's the case, you can tell them all about it using all of the social networks, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're on all of those. Or you could just you know, send people links directly to the website. Or if you live in a world without the Internet and you only listen to podcasts, you can tell people about it with your human mouth. There's other ways we could support us, John. If your interest in supporting us extends to the financial section, you might consider patreon.com slash 9to5cc. If you go there, you can get perks like early content, you can get your questions answered on the air, and you can get extra art. We've been doing this show for a long time, so we kind of know what we're doing. Not really. 905.cc. <laughs> Podcast, blogs, and comics. Made in Montreal since 2011.